we observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, the day has finally arrived. Donald Trump is all over the front pages this morning and I'm quite frankly a little bit embarrassed by it. Not because I don't want him to be here, not because I'm in some way ashamed that Boris Johnson is an ally of his, not because of his wish to buy or not buy the NHS, but because of the craven way that he is being treated by our own media. Now, I'm not normally a critic of our own media because I'm also, of course, a part of our own media, but I think it's embarrassing to look at headlines like First Lady of Fashion on the front of the Daily Mail. It's a bit cringy to read Corbyn ups pressure over NHS as Trump rows back in The Guardian. And the whole treatment of the Trump visit is a special kind of befuddled, really, as only the Brits can do. He's not the great Satan. He's not the most important thing we have to talk about. And he's certainly not going to change the course of our very important general election, which takes place just over a week from now. Can everyone please calm down a bit? He's the 45th President of the United States. He's here for a NATO summit. We'll be reporting from there later on today. But um, I'm afraid that's about it, isn't it? Why do we insist on making out that everything Donald Trump does is so important? Because it isn't. 0344 499 1000. Certainly not to us here in the United Kingdom anyway. Certainly if you are an American uh, and you live in the United States of America, you might think that he's a very important guy because he's the leader of the nation. But not here. He's not running Britain. He's not running Europe. He's not even running NATO, to be honest. Coming up later on, we'll be going live to Labour's campaign to hear from John McDonnell, who's going to tell us we're all going to be six grand better off under a Corbyn government. And we'll hear from the Tories on local transport, which, given the time it took for me to get in today, uh, is in dire need of improvement just between here and my house, to be honest. 0344 499 1000. Plus, Paul Merton joins us with a look at the top ten most watched films you've never seen. And LaDonna Harvey will be here from California as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let's just have a quick run through some of the headlines this morning. We have no interest in the NHS, says Trump. Trump thumps chump over NHS lies. Front page of The Sun. Uh, Corbyn ups pressure over NHS as Trump rows back. The Times um, has got, uh, will pay more uh, tax for the uh, tech giants and then President Trump and Melania on front page uh, at the reception for NATO leaders. Uh, First Lady of Fashion wins hands down. Trump, I wouldn't want the NHS on a silver platter. It just goes on and on and on. Look, and I know uh, Donald Trump coming here uh, is quite exciting for some people. There's plenty of people out there demonstrating against him last night uh, in London. Uh, we're starting now the NATO summit uh, where there's uh, military bands playing up in Watford. It's the 70th anniversary. There's going to be quite a few rows, as we know. But we'll be reporting the news as it happens. But why? Is everybody so obsessed in a way that they've never been before, I don't think, with any particular American president, so obsessed with Donald Trump and his personality? Let's talk uh, to Stephen Erlinger, Chief Diplomatic Correspondent for the New York Times. Stephen, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning to you. Now, I don't know whether you agree with anything that I've just said. You may completely disagree with all of it because he is your president and he is a very important world figure. I just feel that the, the, the way that the British media treats Donald Trump is a bit craven. Do you know what I mean? Well, I do know what you mean, um, but you're in the middle of an election, which is very hard fought, and you have 
some of the press obviously doesn't like the Tories and they want to associate Boris Johnson with Trump. Yeah. Um, and Trump is, after all, you know, a figure. He's so unusual. He's unpredictable. Yeah. He makes news. I mean, he sits there and answers questions for 45 minutes, which most politicians don't actually like right. to do. And of course, he is, you know, this bizarre leader of the free world, and we're supposed to have a special relationship of some kind. And, you know, you have these kind of unconventional leaders in Trump and Johnson. So there is a kind of fascination with, my God, what's he going to say next? Yes, I get what's that. What's he going to do next? I get right? that. But partly it's a sort of a, a beast that feeds itself almost, though, isn't it? Because he knows that. So he kind of plays up to that image. He plays up to the fact that everybody's waiting, hanging on his every word, waiting for him to say something either embarrassing or outrageous or particularly provocative. And then they run with it. You know, it's almost as though if, totally if, true. if we didn't do it that way around, maybe it would be different. Well, I know. I mean, it's hard to ignore big politicians when they make, particularly when television cameras are out there and everybody's using their iPhones. I mean, it's um, it's very hard to ignore the president of of the United States, who in some fashion, whether Europeans like it or not, is partly their president, too. Yes. And, 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 and this is a big issue. Now, one of the things that you've been talking about is the NHS, and mm. that's a kind of purely British you know, secular religion and anything that touches the NHS is a big political issue. So any, so it's the British press pushing Trump on the NHS, which he'd prefer not to talk about. Mm. I mean, I don't think he, I don't think for a long time he ever understood what it was anyway. No, I think when he answered um, the question originally when he was at that press conference with Theresa May, I don't think he knew what it was. I think when somebody said, no. is the NHS on the table, he just kind of gave this stock answer. Well, of course, everything's on the table without actually realising <laughs> exactly. what he was saying. And so when he said this time, I don't know where this whole rumour started from. It was like, well, that's when it started, actually. <laughs> I don't think he even remembers the no, last time. No, I mean, it's just... And, and also this notion that, you know, he, Trump himself, as if he has all the money in the world, wants to buy the NHS. Right. Well, the NHS, first of all, it's not for sale. If it were for sale, no one would buy it. It's no. a non-profit organisation. Exactly. In fact, worse than that, it loses a bu <laughs> bucket load of money. Well, exactly. So, I mean... And then part of the question is, you know, market value. Will the Americans push their terrible regulations and terrible drugs on us? Well, it's such a big market that it can pretty much define the amount of money it pays. So people confuse, I think, management failures inside the NHS with some weird threat from the United States that no one in America truly understands. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And of course, he comes here at a time when back home, um, the Democrats are pressing more and more for this impeachment process to continue on uh, and, to, and to kind of reach its conclusion, albeit at the same time understanding probably that it won't really go anywhere. Well, it's true, but it, it does have him rattled. I mean, you can see it. Um, his entire defence has been this is a witch hunt, it's not important, I'm not going to participate, I'm not going to allow my officials to participate, I'm not going to answer questions, this is all political, and, um, you know, this is the elite out to get me. I told you they would, because I represent you, the real American yes. people, and but again, that, Washington that, and that, and that trying again, to kill me off. Yeah, and that again plays to his crowd, doesn't it? Because that's precisely how he got elected, and precisely why he'll probably get re-elected, because he'll say, look what they've been doing all the time that I've been president. Uh, they've been trying to stop me from getting what I want done, and what you want done, uh, and they're also now trying to chase me out of office.
Well, that's right. Now, you know, his base is pretty strong, but his base is not a majority. And, you know, it's up in the air. I'm not sure he's going to get reelected. I'm not I wouldn't be surprised either way. But it's it's a difficult game for him. I mean, he still has to win many of the states that he won by a very, very, very narrow margin last time. So I, I think it's all to play for, but he certainly starts with more money and his base has remained solid and, and he's dominated partly through fear the Republican Party. But um, you, well, you know, our elections for, are odd. Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem for anyone who wants to see Trump not being re-elected, basically, uh, is that one, there doesn't seem to be a very good, viable uh, Democrat candidate at the moment. Mike Bloomberg seems to have blown up after starting just a few weeks ago. Um, right. And still, the, the Republicans can't seem to find anybody to replace Trump. Well, they wouldn't now. I mean, you know, there's, there's always these rumours that Nikki Haley, you, you, you know... Oh, a woman who was his UN ambassador might replace Mike Pence, but I don't think so. I think Trump needs the evangelicals and Mike Pence is an evangelical. I mean, Trump is running, you know, as the defender of white Republican values. Now, the Democrats are still in this early stage of figuring out what they're doing, um, but I think they'll come up with a credible sort of candidacy. The big issue for them is, do they run against Trump, 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 or do they run on real issues like, you know, pensions and health care and jobs and so on? So yes. um, I, I think, you know, that's still really up in the air. But, you know, it is also true that the Democrats are kind of a minority party now. I mean, they're a party of the cities and a party of um, non-white Americans, and um, they need to get people out to vote. My own assumption is, you, you know, much like the British first-past-the-post system, the national vote isn't the important thing. It's the state-by-state -state vote yeah. or the constituency-by-constituency vote. This will come down to six or eight states at the most, maybe 60 to 80 districts in those states. It's going to be a very narrowly fought tough election, but very much centred on the Midwest and what happens there. Right. And as for the NATO summit today going on um, just north of London, uh, Donald Trump has already created a bit of a stir with his Macron press conference. And, <laughs> yes. and uh, there's been a bit of sort of uh, toing and froing last night with uh, Trudeau, uh, Princess Anne, Boris Johnson seemingly caught talking on a hot mic about him. You know, I mean, he just does seem to brighten things up whether you like the way brightens it up he just <laughs> makes what... i mean I, I have to say normally speaking a nato meeting would be incredibly dull and boring but this totally. one somehow everybody wants to see what's going on well also you you know you you have if i can put it this way three narcissists three big narcissists one obviously is that like the Trump. three musketeers well Boris in a way Johnson's been talking and, about <laughs> one's macron one's trump and one's erdogan from yeah turkey um, now, Boris will put aside because he's in the middle of an election campaign. Yeah. But these are the people who are kind of have domestic issues, who are pushing their domestic issues and using NATO as a sort of theater to make their points at home. And, um, you know, Macron sees a leadership vacuum inside Europe because the German coalition is, is still, you know, basically stagnant. Italy has a fake government. The Spanish just had their fourth election in four years, right. and, and Britain's leaving. So there's this huge vacuum in Europe for leadership among big states, and he's trying to fill it. Unfortunately, he's sometimes annoying people as he tries to do that. But part of doing it is saying, I can stand up to America. Mm. So, I mean, there's a lot of 
showmanship going on, but that's fun. It is, and I was I was learned this morning that they sit apparently around the table at NATO summit in alphabetical order, which means that <laughs> Boris Johnson uh, has uh, Donald Trump to his left and Erdogan to his right. So that should make for quite an interesting conversation, <laughs> right? It's wonderful. I mean, these yeah, are the things wonderful. I suppose that uh, that are the, the things that journalists get worked up about. But you're Stephen, you're based over in uh, Brussels. Um, yes. The EU will be watching this today with some interest, won't they? Obviously, they have uh, sort of delegates and, and diplomats and people there as well. Um, but the EU will be hoping for what out of this, exactly? Well, there are actually underneath all this show, there are serious issues, as there always are. I mean, after all, it is a military alliance. It's the most powerful military alliance in the world. So they're going to be talking about things like China, mm -hmm which interests the EU. You just did a report on on 5G that matters, you know, what happens with Huawei and so on. They're going to be talking about hybrid warfare. They're going to be talking about um, digital spying, artificial intelligence, you know, what all this does to NATO's military shape. Um, and China especially is a whole new issue for NATO, because NATO doesn't border China, but Chinese ships are in the Mediterranean, they're in the Black Sea, they're going through um, the sort of Arctic route, so China's buying up lots of things, it, it, it has relationships with 17 EU countries now, many of whom belong to NATO, so China is a rising power and a big issue for NATO, and they need to discuss it, and it's very important for the EU too, because Europe doesn't want to be this kind of target of Russia, China, and US. Europe has to be on its own to some degree and defend its interests. Um, right. So this is these are the issues I think underneath that that we see playing out. Absolutely right. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Stephen Erlinger, chief diplomatic correspondent for the New York Times, based over in Brussels, uh, looking at what's going on uh, at NATO today. The meet, summit meeting going on. Boris Johnson currently addressing the meeting. Let's have a listen in. Meeting, so I thank the media for joining us at the beginning of the meeting, and we will continue uh, this meeting in just a moment. Well, that was Boris Johnson, but uh, he was putting on a funny voice. No, it was not Boris Johnson. Uh, he just stopped speaking the minute I went to him. Can you believe it? He's now having a glass of water. Uh, we'll come back to it uh, when there is somebody saying something sensible. But they are, of course, now uh, going to be trying to work out what NATO's role is going to be, uh, what NATO's policy is going to be, uh, and whether any of the other countries apart from the United States of America are going to actually provide more money. But I want to hear from you on this one, because Donald Trump, um, for whether you, whether you like it or not, uh, is, of course, a figure of great... Sort of division you know people hate him people quite like him if you do hate him uh, you obviously don't like boris johnson very much people who like jeremy corbyn hate donald trump why is this guy this one person as an american politician as the american president why is he given so much attention why do people think that everything he does is so interesting and has some kind of resonance for the rest of the world and the rest of this country he's not going to change the face of this election he's not going to give anybody uh, any reason to vote one way or the other he's certainly uh, not going to be a, uh, anything other than a kind of a sideshow so why does our, does our media, and I don't include myself in this because we're talking about him because he is here, uh, why does everybody become so obsessed with Donald Trump and everything he says and everything he does and everything he says he's going to do and everything he doesn't do that he said he was going to do? The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.
or not, it's the 25th anniversary of the National Lottery starting up, right? 1994. Somehow it seems to have been around for a lot longer than that, but uh, the first draw took place 19th of November 1994. Since then, £40 billion or more has been raised for good causes in the areas of arts, sports, heritage, community. Over 5,000 millionaires have been created by National Lottery Games over the last 25 years. The list goes on and on and on. I'm delighted to say now uh, we're joined uh, by Paul Merton, who's going to tell us about some films which are part of uh, a really interesting kind of archive of little-known films, but great films that perhaps you never have heard of and you may never have seen. Paul, very good morning to you. Hello, good morning. How Thank are you, you today? Very, very well indeed. I was just, good. just reading about Nish Kumar this morning and thinking, you know, how comedy has changed. I mean, most comedians used to go into stand-up comedy clubs and get booed and have stuff thrown at them. Yes. Um, why is he getting so worked up would be my first question. Well, I haven't. I, I, I only saw the headline, so I, I don't know the story. It was the Lord's Taverners. Was That's it? right. Yeah, apparently he was making jokes about Brexiteers and people didn't like it. I don't really, I don't really understand it, but I'm sure he's quite capable of handling it anyway. Yes, yes. I mean, I, 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 I don't know the story much, but uh, it's uh, it maybe alcohol was involved. Uh, it may well be. That's more than likely to be the case. Now, I've of course made sure that I looked at the ten most watched films from the BFI's mm. Britain on mm. Film uh, mm. that you've never heard of, and I actually. Um, haven't seen any of them. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> no, well, I mean, this is the this is the joy of it. I mean, you mentioned the National Lottery. They're 25 years old this year, and they they've put a lot of money into this project, yeah. which is uh, uh, the BFI, the British Film Institute. Essentially, have this 10,000 films, which you can, if you go to the BFI player and tap in Britain on Film, you'll get access to these 10,000 films. And they have, over the last four years, have over 70 million views. So actually, it is of, uh, for example, if you know, in in London, the top film, the top 10 films. Here the top film of, out of them all, which mm. had over two and a half million views, is Sunshine uh, Sun in Soho, which right. is Soho in the mid-1950s in Technicolor. And I think that's what's really interesting about these films, because no matter where you live, you can type in your postal code and they'll bring up a film of your area, and no, probably of a street that you know. Mm. And some of the footage goes back to 1902, 1903. So, you know, life changes all the time, and we don't kind of notice it day by day because it's, it's a slow sort of, you know, change. But if you go back to even sort of like 50 years to the 70s, it's like looking at another world completely, yeah. you know? There's less traffic, nobody's walking around looking at a mobile phone because they, they didn't exist. Right. And it is sort of the chance to sort of, you know, almost like travel back in a time machine and see how things used to be. Well, look at, I mean, number six, Changing Face of Camberwell from 1963. Yes. I mean, I bet you that's fascinating because Camberwell now is a kind of a cross between somewhere quite trendy for some people and still quite an earthy kind of urban centre, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And there's uh, the footage there, there's sort of like this prefabs and stuff which were, you know, built after the war because of the housing shortage, because of the blitz, I suppose, yeah. essentially. And uh, it sort of covers the fact that a lot of people who live in prefabs really like them. You know, they were sort of sometimes people who, who sort of would, would scorn them a bit because they looked like cheap houses. But actually, the people that lived in prefabs found them, you know, comfortable places and actually had a real sort of feeling for them. And uh, there is, uh, it's, it's, you're seeing um, uh, Camberwell just at the beginning of the 60s, mm. before, just before Beatlemania. And it's still, you know, when you see something like that from that era, it still feels a bit like after the Second World War. You know, I suppose the war had only been over by for 15, 18 years. And it still seems post-war yes. at that point. Well, I think without wishing to sound like uh, some ancient person harking back to the good old days, I mean, we were happier with a lot less then as well. I mean, you just didn't have as much stuff. No, we didn't. We, I mean, I mean, I suppose we have to point out the good old days included two, two world wars. <laughs> 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 well, there is that, yes, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, it wasn't such a sort of, 
you know, a society where people people didn't have mod cons. They didn't have things like uh, dishwashers or or big television sets and things. And people would be more. I don't know if they were happier or whatever, but certainly there was there was less items, less consumer items. Mm. But there have been. But there's a lot of stuff which has helped. You know, uh, you, you know, the daily sort of like housework. You know, to be made easier than it was. But uh, people don't beat carpets anymore, do they? They certainly don't. No, you just throw it out and get a new one, don't you? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, as far as these movies are concerned, can people access them? Are they online? Available? Yes, the, there's the, the the thing called the BFI player, and you type in Britain on film, and there's ten thousand films which are completely free to look at. And if you put in your postal code, you you'll find something pertaining to your area, uh, and maybe even a street that you know that you walk up and down every day. And yeah. it, it is amazing just how much things have changed. Fascinating stuff. And and I'm going to ask you one final question, mm. Paul. Have you ever won any money on the lottery? No, I don't do the lottery. I suppose I should do, really, but I never have done, no. If, uh, if I had won something on the lottery, I'd probably be, uh, I probably wouldn't be doing this interview. What I love <laughs> is the fact that when they... And I, I stopped doing it after about the first couple of years, but yeah. when, whether you've won £10 or £10 million, yes. you get this um, email that says, congratulations, you're a winner. Yes. Which quite upsets people because they think they've won quite a lot of money. Oh, dear, yes. won a tenner. <laughs> Congratulations, you're, you've got 10 quid richer. Yeah, exactly. Paul, thanks very much indeed. Paul Merton there talking uh, on behalf of the 25th anniversary, believe it or not, of the National Lottery. But some of these films fa- sound fantastic. Uh, Tour of Chichester from 1962, A Day in Liverpool from 1929, Tram Rides Through Nottingham, 1902. I think the BFI is definitely a place you might want to pay a visit to. Uh, but I'm delighted to say we're going to change the subject rather dramatically now because I'm joined uh, by Mr Marcus Waring. Marcus, a very good morning to you. Good to see you. Thank you very much for coming in. I've just had a chance to have a quick peek <laughs> through your book. What a delightful Thank you. compendium of food because I'm, I have to confess to being a bit of a, a, an amateur cook myself, you see. So whenever anybody's got anything to do with cooking, I always want to talk to them. <laughs> but there is a fantastic array of stuff in here because yeah. now that we're all kind of becoming more... I don't know, omnivorous, I suppose is the word, that we're eating more vegetarian food, we're yes. eating more um, perhaps vegan food as well. Yeah. It's nice to see a cookbook where you can do all of that rather than just, you know, yeah. one or the other, if you know what I mean. I think, that, well, the idea behind the book is is to really give you an insight into uh, how you can use food in your own home. I mean, yeah. I, I have kids and, you know, it, it, they open the fridge, it's full of food, and they look into it and say... There's no food in the house, Dad. Mm. What, what, what are we going to eat? Yeah. You can make something out of everything. You've got store cupboards. The book really is about everyday life. It's Marcus Every Day, and that's what it's all about. So right. the way we eat, there's a chapter about waste, not what not. I really don't like seeing waste. And I think Do you know, we... I'm exactly the same. When I was a kid, and people are bored hearing this story, I worked in a bakery uh, from the age of 14, um, you know, a Hungarian bakery. And they used everything, yeah. you know, because it was the sort of professional way of yeah. doing things, you know. And even the, the, the side cuts off all the sponge, it was all put yeah. into a big mixer and we made chocolate truffles out of them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really awful. I mean, my, yeah. my, the mother of my children hates the fact that I will never throw anything out. And if I'm going <laughs> through the vegetable drawer, you're going, yeah, I can cut that carrot in half yeah. and, and use the good bit and throw the other bit away. I'm really, well, I mean, I, like I literally that. do anything. You should you? be a chef. I should. That's, that, that, that's what we think. That's exactly the same way. You shouldn't throw food away. We do buy a little bit more food than we need to yes. because of the way our supermarkets are selling the produce to us. Uh, there's a lot of buy one, get one free. And yeah. I think what we do is we put too much in our baskets. Yeah. And I think if we just cut back a little bit, save that money for something else, mm. and actually just just in, just cook a little bit more. Yes. The book is about, you know, read it, enjoy it, 
and then actually go to the kitchen and try and cook from it. And just try and cook from it, yeah, because, I mean, there's pictures of you, I don't know if those are your children, I presume yes, they, they are. are. Um, it would probably be unwise to cook with other people's children. Probably <laughs> might have something to say about it. But I'm, I'm like you, I've got two sort of teenage boys. One yeah. of them really likes cooking, um, like making cakes and things like that, and he's always up for that sort of thing. And, yeah. and they're into it. And funnily enough, they do, I'm quite happy to say, they do have a food tech class at school. Good. Uh, which is good. But, you know, it's not always what it's not they're not always doing the sort of thing i would do but at least it's giving people an opportunity i mean you think it's quite important though isn't it i think that's really good to hear that's just made my day that's, that is the one thing i really am going to sort of shout about later in life when i've got more time is i want to see cookery back into our schools i want to see it in some form of a curriculum mm. where everybody can get into some somewhere in school and make something yeah. and, and even just the simplest thing sure but just get in the kitchen and you know it's great fun it breaks the monotony monotony of schooling yeah uh, and it takes them out of their their usual zone of the yeah. classroom they're getting less time on the sports field at the moment apparently right. yeah uh, so let's get them into the kitchens and cook yeah them. absolutely right and as far i mean funnily enough we were talking today about um there's a, a story down in bristol where uh, some teachers are so fed up with the kids going to this far, these fast food shops after yes. school they're trying to stop them from actually going in and i see it all the time uh, here in london where kids are coming out of school yeah. they've got, walking around with a bag of chips and all that kind of thing and you, you just wonder you know, how much food are these kids eating they're all getting a lot bigger yep. not necessarily fatter but yep. certainly bigger yeah um and I think they're eat they seem to be eating an awful lot more. I don't think there's anything wrong with that type of food. Yeah. I think what the, the problem we're having is that they're having it every day. You know, I go past all different types of supermarkets on my way to work and I do see these school kids, you know, with a Coca-Cola yeah. in their hand and, and, and junk food and right. a packet of crisps. Mm. Now, I get it that parents are time, they've got less time. They're all probably parents who are going out working, going out early, sure. coming home late. But, you know, uh, if we're going to have kids... We have to be prepared as family and as parents to actually know how to bring them up. And mm. I think if there's a little bit of re-education we need to do, then we must do that. Why waste that money on Coke and crisps for breakfast yes. when they can just make... And do you find that the, the whole image and, the, and the, the, the sort of governments sometimes will wrestle with these things, whether there should be more taxes on sugary foods and fatty mm. foods? And I'm kind of in, 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 in two minds about it because I'm not a massive fan of... Of sort of central, you know, control. I'm a, more of a, a choice person, but yeah. but we do seem to have, as you said earlier, it's just so much that we can buy, so much mm. food, and everything's bigger, and the bags have got more in them, and all of that. You know, I think you can take away sugar out of certain things and drinks and things. I think that 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 that, that the government can do whatever they like. There's going to be another product on the shelf that, that has more sugar than the one before it, yes. and it'll just the, the 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 thing will just carry on and, and it will can continue. We have to have a look at ourselves in the mirror, and if we've got children, we need to just educate them. We need to eat better, we need to make more time, and I think everybody needs to get involved, even if it's just once a week, doing a little bit of cooking, get the family involved. The kitchen is the centre point of the house. Yes. It's where everyone meets. It's where and you always congregates. end up in everybody's kitchen, don't yeah. you, no matter what's going on. You know, whether it's a party, whether it's you're going around for a barbecue, so, you're always in the kitchen. You, know, you don't sit in the living room anymore. You sit no. in the, everyone stands in the kitchen. That's right. And what I really like as well is you've got... Um, Pickling, uh, yep. you've got chutney, how to make chutney, because, I mean, that's great jams. fun. Jams and stuff like that as well. Because if we people buy... get put off by that stuff because they think it's, it's... incredibly um, oh. hard to do. I, I, I had abundance of raspberries this year, and I, I don't make jam. Mm. Uh, and I've, for this book, I've put some recipes in there, and I just made a load of raspberry jam. 
And I have to say, it was quite satisfying. Was it? Do you know yeah. what I enjoyed about it? Giving it to some of my friends. Yeah. That's my jam. Put right. that on your toast for breakfast. It's homemade. Yeah. And I put a little bit less sugar in it. It okay. was a little bit less. It was a bit a little bit runnier, mm. but it was tasty. Yeah. And is it is it quite a laborious? I mean, I have friends who, who who've tried doing it right, and sometimes the stories themselves are just hilarious <laughs> because you know, and I got to right to the end, and then I dropped it all, and it went all over the kitchen floor, you know, and it's still sticky. But I mean, I made some. Uh, I, I'm quite a fan of cooking Indian food and I've got a Mother India cookbook which was from a restaurant up in Glasgow and I made a, um, a garlic pickle which I just nice. put a spoon of in everything that I now make. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's just nice brilliant. Delicious. It's quite easy to do. Yeah. Just you know, a lot of vinegar and a lot of garlic. And, away and you, get you, the great, you get the great onion flavour, the garlic mm. flavour, and it also brings out the, the flavour of the, the, mm. you know, the alum in it. Oh, and, and so it's not all garlicky. And then the sweet and sourness of the pickling actually yeah. just adds another dimension to it. So do you have to have a big sort of a place? Like I, I once lived in a, when I was a student, I lived in this very old place in Bath and it had a larder which was brilliant for putting jars and jars and jars of stuff yeah. in. But not a lot of people have that. I mean, no. if you're going to make this kind of stuff, do you need quite a big space to, no. to put it in? No. I mean, I just stick my jams in the garage, which mm. is a little bit cooler. Oh, there's a shelf on, on in the garage, and I just put my jams on there. Okay. I'm actually like, this, I'm quite proud of them. Yeah. I don't need to fill my Well, that's cupboards. the other thing about cooking, isn't it? I mean, you're making something. It's yeah. cre very creative. Yeah. And, and if you're making something you can keep for a while, there's nothing nicer than giving someone a little jar of something or a piece of pie or, yeah. or something you've made as a gift to a friend, to a member of your family. Yeah. You know, there's, it's just a lovely thing to do. The gift of food, uh, when you've made it, mm. is lovely. Oh, it absolutely is. Well, it's called Marcus Every Day. And you've been here, I think, cooking, haven't you? Have you been cooking, somebody told me you were cooking meatballs. Today we're doing a, we're doing some dishes in the in the canteen for, right. the, for, this, for the building, for okay. everybody here. My, my publishers are here. There's a lot of people here. And I'm here for, for, for lunch today. Are you doing, I'm, the, I'm, I'm are you doing the lamb meatballs with the... Um, I don't know, I need to go in the kitchen and find out what the oh, chefs okay. have done. Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks wonderful, it is. Lamb meatballs with harissa and sour cream. Tremendous. Delicious. Love that. Well, listen, Marcus, thank you very much indeed for My coming pleasure. in. pleasure. And when are we seeing you on television next? We're on MassChef at the moment. It's running at the moment, so we've been on for three, four weeks. We're in the knockout stages now. We're down to our final 12 chefs. Title yeah. 10 tonight. Uh, and we're getting to the nitty-gritty, the sort of the sharp end of the competition. And it's brilliant. I love being part of that show. And that's show. been a big part of getting people sort of cooking, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it has. I, I mean, mean, cookery shows on TV, cookery in magazines, just showing people the, the, the window of what you can do. OK, you're not going to cook the food of professional MasterChef, but it will inspire you to mm. either go out and eat or just get into the kitchen, buy a book and enjoy some food. Yeah. Enjoy some fresh food. Yes, absolutely. Marcus Waring, thank you very much indeed. Marcus Everyday is the name of the book. Harper Collins is the name of the publishers. They are here. Uh, I might come and have some food later. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, this is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it was only the other day uh, that I think that we got uh, the information that more and more children and more and more adults are actually suffering from all sorts of different allergies, and we're trying to sort of work out precisely why that might be. Um, this particular study um, is very interesting indeed. It was done at King's College London, and we're going to talk now to Professor Gideon Lack, Professor of Paediatric Allergies uh, at King's College. Uh, Professor Gideon, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon to you. Thank, Thank you very much indeed for joining us. It is one of those kind of myths, or not myths, but sort of mysteries, I suppose, of modern day life, that more and more people seem to be more and more allergic to more and more things. Uh, that is correct. And in fact, late 80s, 90s witnessed a rise in allergic asthma, hay fever. And what we've really seen in the beginning of the 21st century has been a dramatic rise in food allergies. Yes, uh, Food allergies now affect about 8% of school-age children in the UK, almost 1 in 10, to, yes. to round it off. And oftentimes, those food allergies are quite serious. And, and I mean, we thankfully don't have too many instances of this, of this happening, but quite a lot of people fatally uh, suffer from them, don't they? Well, thankfully, there are few, very few such incidents, but every child with a food allergy lives with that uh, potential threat which clearly can cause a lot of distress and anxiety in families. Right. And so what was your study uh, attempting to find out, uh, and, and was it uh, successful? Well, um, this was a further analysis of a large study where we introduced uh, solids very early on, particularly allergy-producing solids, from the age of uh, three to four months of age in breastfeeding babies, and overall, what we found was that the breastfed babies who had solid foods that included peanut, egg, milk, wheat, sesame, fish, did better as far as allergies were concerned. Right. So our original publication in 2015 showed a very significant reduction um, in the children who actually managed to eat all those foods. Right. And here in further analysis, we've confirmed that, and um, we've, uh, we've, we've shown that particularly in the groups of children most prone to develop allergies, those with eczema, those with early onset of positive blood test um, levels, we can actually prevent... Um, food allergies, particularly peanut and egg allergies. Okay. Because, I mean, what up until now would you say is the scientific kind of belief or the consensus on why, say, peanut allergy is, is, is much worse now than it was? Okay. There are a lot of theories. Um, many possibly, you know, these are, 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 are contributing. Um, the only hard evidence we have is that early introduction of foods such as peanut and egg will prevent... Um, these food allergies from occurring. Mm. And then one has to ask ourselves the question, why have these allergies gone up? And I think inevitably we come to the conclusion that we have been removing these foods from the diet of, the diets of babies. We have been telling mothers very specifically not to give their babies um, peanuts or uh, eggs before six months of age. And in fact, in the past, we used to tell mothers uh, where there were allergies in the family, not to give their babies any peanuts until uh, one year of age. Right. Um, so we believe that it's this delay in introducing foods that is allowing 
the development of food allergies. Okay. And as far as, um, uh, for example, the, uh, the reason behind mo most of these allergies is concerned, are we learning more and more about different strands of it or how you could perhaps make it less um, serious if you are going to have a, a suffering from some kind of allergy? Well, there are new treatments that clearly are being developed and um, one of the first stages of new treatments um, that uh, we hope will become available to attenuate um, reactions to peanut um, and um, those we hope will be available in about a year. Um, I mean, going back to our research, however, we believe the main challenge we have is to prevent food allergies from occurring. There's an old saying that, um, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And we should be able to prevent most cases of at least peanut and egg allergy. Mm. Um, there are about 18 to 20,000 new cases of peanut allergy a year for every new group of babies born in uh, the UK. And uh, we should be able to prevent the, the overwhelming majority of that. Right. Similar numbers of children with egg allergy. And if you were to um, uh, to suggest to, to, to I suppose, the at-risk groups to, to, to do this thing that you think is a good idea, is there a risk for them to do that or not really? Well, if they start very early on uh, at three to four months of age, the risk is probably very low. There are certain higher risk groups, such as children with eczema, and very interestingly, actually, children of non-European origin, children okay. from Asia or other parts of the world born in the UK, right. who have two to three times higher rates of food allergy. One of the things that our studies have identified, actually, were the difficulties associated with introducing foods and actually targeting certain groups of children where we could help the parents and children introduce foods early. Right. So, for example... Um, um, uh, greater maternal age, children of non-European origin um, uh, had uh, found it more difficult to introduce these foods uh, very early on. Uh, similarly, mothers who had uh, poorer quality of life when the, around the time the baby was born for a variety of reasons found it difficult to introduce um, all the foods into the babies. But we do believe that in order to prevent um, food allergies, uh, these, um, these interventions of early introduction of foods should be targeted to the whole population, not just to narrow groups of the population. Yes. And do you think, and this may sound like a very unscientific question, that, that the children's exposure to various forms of bacteria, perhaps, or um, uh, any number of other things in our general sort of society and the way that we live has caused a, some of this aller allergic reaction to stuff. And what I'm, I'm asking, I suppose, is, you know, many people say to me, you know, that, that we're much cleaner now. We live a much cleaner mm -hmm. life. We are much less kind of likely to um, have dirty houses. We're much less likely to have dirty cars, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, the hygiene hypothesis, which has been around for a while, is a very important one, and it's evolved... Um, in different directions as time has gone on and mm. has become more sophisticated. And now the big, um, really, one of the big important concepts is that of uh, dysbiosis or an imbalance of the uh, bacterial flora, uh, particularly in the gut, but also in other areas of the body. And um, 
excessive cleanliness may have contributed to this. Uh, another interesting branch of the hygiene hypothesis is that, uh, you know, we are far too clean. We clean the skin too often yes. and increased washing of the skin, increased, increased use of soap and products on the skin. Um, it, we believe is associated, and there's some evidence for this, with um, decrease in the skin barrier function and with an increase in eczema. And one of the interesting um, notions is that it seems like the allergies themselves develop through a broken down skin. Yeah. So if babies with eczema are the most prone to food allergies. And we believe that the broken, that um, foods in the environment, egg, milk, peanut, penetrate the skin. And these um, uh, molecules of protein, food proteins that enter the skin, stimulate an allergic response. Mm. Okay. Whereas in contrast, eating the food early, we pr- we believe will um, uh, will attenuate um, uh, attenuate yes. it. But um, bacteria certainly contribute. But the important message really is that um, with or without this bacterial or, or, or um, uh, contribution or the hygiene hypothesis, nevertheless, we can forestall and prevent the majority of peanut and egg allergy. Yes, but you wouldn't go as far as to say to people that they should be less hygienic, perhaps? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I mean, I, one thing I would say is that people should uh, um, bathe babies less frequently. You know, right. babies should not be bathed once a day. We shouldn't be applying soaps to their skin mm. um, and um, a variety of, uh, of products that can actually... Uh, reduce the function of the of the skin barrier and break down the skin mm. and lead to eczema. Uh, but, but, but you know, um, there's a trade-off. Obviously, we used to have very high mortality rates because of lack of hygiene in society. Mm. And thankfully, uh, today babies don't die of viruses and bacterial infections the way they used to because we have much improved improved hygiene. But um, improved hygiene, modern living does come with a cost, and one of those costs is allergies. The important thing is we believe now we have found a very effective way of preventing peanut and egg and possibly other food allergies. Yes. Interesting. I've got a question, actually, from a listener who uh, who called up with it uh, from Epsom. It's Daniel who says that he met a Chinese restaurant owner recently who told him that they don't have many allergy problems in their society because they give their children peanuts and prawns from a very young age. And uh, that person is probably very right about this. Uh, one of the interesting things, though, is that Chinese um, uh, children of Chinese origin, for example, born in the United States, have one of the highest rates of food allergies. Really? Um, as do Asian children born in this country. And that, that's one of the things we identified, is that um, when uh, babies are born outside their home of traditional right. origin, um, and in fact culture of feeding changes as well, mm. the risk of allergies goes up uh, very, very soon. That's quite fascinating, isn't it? So could it be something in the food chain as well that, we're, that we use perhaps more so than people uh, in uh, Southeast Asia do? No, so I, I mean, there, there are a number of factors going on. I doubt it's as very much, it's a specific uh, uh, product in the food chain yeah. or form of processing the food that is responsible. Right. I think it's cultural habits. So the astute observation made by the doctor uh, about Chinese babies, 
I think is probably correct. The mm. fact that Chinese babies are exposed to peanuts very early on in China is what is protecting them against peanut allergy. Right. Um, and they come to the UK and they follow UK advice, which is delayed introduction of these foods, which results, we believe, in a much higher rate of food allergies. Fascinating stuff. Professor, thank you very much indeed. Professor Gideon Lack there. Uh, who's at King's College London, uh, author of this study on paediatric allergy, basically says that uh, feeding peanuts and eggs to some babies from as early as three months could protect them from developing allergies, but could also actually help in terms of curbing the growing numbers of children who have allergies in the first place. Because there's no question, I don't think, in anybody's mind, that nowadays there are far more kids who have got allergies to nuts and allergies to milk and allergies to all sorts of other things which didn't seem to be in such big numbers, uh, certainly when I was growing up, uh, and even when my older children were growing up. It seems to have got a lot worse uh, much more recently, so I'd be interested to hear uh, your stories on that as well. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. This is, of course, Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Back to the Independent Republic of Mike Gray. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock, of course. We've got much, much more to do between now uh, and then, including LaDonna Harvey, uh, who's going to be here with us from KOGO in San Diego. She's going to talk to us about uh, Donald Trump, who's, of course, here at the moment, uh, but is currently uh, in the process of going through an impeachment proceeding uh, over in the House of Representatives in Washington. He's basically said uh, that it's nothing to do with him. He's not going to pay them any attention, and it's probably not going to go anywhere, but we will find out uh, precisely what that is all about. Got lots and lots of you uh, tweeting me today as well at Talk Radio uh, at um, all sorts of um, different subjects that we've been doing today. Uh, we'll also be talking to Russell Quirk later on about Cornwall and whether people are actually losing their regional accents. Uh, let's go to the phones though. 0344 is the number. Let's talk to Carter, uh, who's in Scotland, wants to talk about the NHS. Hi, Carter. Hello, Mike. Uh, my name's uh, George Carter, but don't worry. Oh, sorry, um, George. No, no, I'll call you George. Fine. Or you can no. call me Graham, if you like, just to make up for it. Oh, no, that's OK. <laughs> no, I just, uh, just to let you know, I mean, you might have covered some of it, but uh, I've, been in, I've been nursing there for about 18 years, and the major problem is actually just institutional bullying. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that's, why, uh, you probably, that's why you've got about 4,500 vacancies in Scotland, 42,000 in England. And sadly, in the last seven years, because I know the stats, there used to be a union, about 350 suicide, no suicides. Right. You know, so. so when you say and, institutional bullying, do you mean by the, the people in charge of the nursing stations? Do you mean by the patients? What? Well, management. Yeah. I mean, as you know, we've moved up from, from the days where there was just a matron who sorted everything out and, and the chief doctor. But what you have now is a whole plethora of managers, and they only bring in new managers who will think like them. It's almost like a wolf pack mentality. Yeah. A lot of good nurses do not get promoted because they want people to keep the lie. That's why I left the NHS a long time ago. But I've worked in other countries and I've seen it as well. Right. Um, so so that, you that, were that, so you were a nurse, George? I still am, but I'm part-time. Okay. And do you work for individual sort of private companies now then? I do work for private companies, yeah. And so they and do you work do you go back into the hospitals like as an agency nurse then? No, no, I wouldn't know because you're walking a very thin line with that as well. You right. get the, I used to work 
a little bit agency, but you get the heaviest end of the ward. Um, right. You know, you, you have, I mean, everyone I know that, that has children would not tell them to go into nursing. And really? it might, just a little story that no nurse will ever be shocked, but there are some nurses because of the bullying who basically are women with children, mortgages, not little girls that are throwing up in the morning before mm. they walk onto the wards, you know, and that's, that, that might shock some people, but it doesn't shock nurses. Right. So, I mean, what, when you say the culture of bullying, um, yep. is, it, uh, is it physical bullying? Is it sort of, you know, like pushing people around? Is it, is it talking down to them? Is it making no. you work hours that you don't want to work? What is it? Well, if you do complain, you have to write probably about four pages about every minute of what you're doing. Yeah. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, this, is, this happened probably about four or five years ago before I went, I went to work in the Channel Islands Royal just to get away. Mm -hmm. the, top, the top surgeon, again, this was in the papers, and it's kind of died. The top surgeon complained. The guy who'd work on the royal family mm. um, complained about staffing levels, uh, other things. And it's a usual for management. It's their little book. First, it's mental health issues. Then it's sexism. Then they call it bullying. Now, five months down the line, he was cleared. The story went dead. Now, mm. if they can do that to the top mister in, in, you know, in his field, think what they can do to a nurse. Yeah, absolutely. So do you believe, George, that the reason why we're not getting enough nurses in this country is because people just don't want to do it? It's a trickle down by osmosis from enough people saying, don't do it. Yeah, right. it's not it's not attractive. And the ones that are doing it are overworked, they'll make mistakes, and it's not, the days are gone, you know, like Dr. Finley, you did your best sort of thing, thanks. Um, it's punitive. Right. Um, yes. Sadly, I joined 18 years ago thinking it would improve and it's got worse. And it just hasn't. That's terrible, isn't yeah. it, George? Good call, though. Thank you very much indeed for letting us know. Uh, lots more of you to talk to between now and 1 o'clock. 0344-499-1000. Harry uh, is in Portsmouth. I think he wants to talk about some of those movies uh, we were mentioning earlier on with Paul Merton. Hello, Harry. Oh, yeah, I want to talk about many things because the promises are coming thick and fast they now. They certainly are. Politicians. Yes. They're a bunch of thickos <laughs> trying to pull a fast one on us all. Well, I mean, luckily you've seen right through it, though. Always, always. always the, trouble, the trouble is, though, Harry, do you not think that because all of this stuff is coming at us, and it's literally coming at us ten to the dozen, that there's probably some stuff in there that might be good and some stuff in there that might be achievable, yeah. but they're kind of they're making us all disbelieve every single bit of it? Yeah, that's how they got us by the short and curlies. I was talking to your night, night man, um, Daryl Morris, uh, oh, yeah. a couple of weeks back. Top man. He was saying, yeah, how, he, was, he raised on the subject, how can we get people, you know, politicians to keep to some sort of promise yes. or whatever, you know. Well, that'd be nice, they, wouldn't it? You know, they leave a party, don't they? And they can't even keep their own party promise because they go off to another party. Yes. But I was thinking on on that, you know, I, I had my idea of the Ben letter, for instance, I'd like the toll on the M6 to be abolished. Okay. I'd like Waterloo East joined to the main Waterloo and have the trains running completely through, that saves a heck of a lot of time, because you have got empty trains sitting there for 20 minutes to go back to, to where they came from. Well, Waterloo East, Well, Waterloo East goes through to Charing Cross, though. Yeah, ah, yeah, but it's only that last, it's only that last mile across the river. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of people want, yeah, but a lot of people want to go across oh, the river, because they want oh, to go to Charing Cross. No, don't, don't get me wrong, there was, you know, a lot of the suburban trains would, but I'm thinking they're probably the main line ones, we can come up from North Kent yeah. and then head down to Southampton or Portsmouth. You know, the train would sit in Waterloo for two minutes, yeah. picking up, setting down. Right. And that's why you got 21 and now all the Eurostar platforms at Waterloo, because every time 
something stops, yeah. you need more and more platforms. Well, they'd have to move all the railways, wouldn't you? They'd have to move all of oh, that. Okay. It's a very London-centric conversation, this, but I happen to know Waterloo Station very well. They'd have to move the railway lines to connect up with each other, which at the moment they don't do. There used to be a connection years ago, uh, up until the First yeah. World War. They they sometimes ran trains through, but it was yeah, well, it was not out when they ago. did a rebuild. Yeah. On on that, um, I know Paul Merton. He, he he mentioned on another channel. I heard him on talking about Charlotte Street Market. Oh yes. Where yeah, where back in the seventies, he, he said there's all these uh, pictures of the market trade. It's just just where the Tricorn was. Okay. Because the Charlotte Street Market was next to the Tricorn. That. Is it still is it still there? there this market? Yeah, oh yeah, it's uh, it's always been there. It's been there since you know. I mean, Charlotte Street's probably named after Queen Charlotte in about seventeen hundred something. Could be. There was a Princess Charlotte. Or I something. don't think it's named it's after been... Charlotte Church, is it? No, definitely not. No. Definitely not. But it's been there two hundred years. But mm. it's based. It's been all okay. sorts of rebuilt. Is it worth a bond. visit then? Definitely. No, no, no. It's just no. a small fruit and veg. No, it's a small fruit and veg market tucked. Behind, it was tucked behind Marks and Spencers until they did okay. put the shopping centre in. Yeah, but it's good in. to buy local local produce, though, in places like yeah, that. Yeah, loads of people go there who, who, who know it, you know, because you can you can you can sort of finger the fruit yourself, can't you? You can you can see what what you judge to be the best best quality, you know. Yes. Hopefully. No, exactly right. Well, listen, Harry, I'm I'm appreciate your call as ever. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show ten to one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.